Welcome to the Legacy Nashville Podcast. We are so grateful that you've taken the time out of your day or night to tune in. We pray that this message encourages you to love God, love people, and change the world. Now, let's get to the message. Unity. That's right. Today, I'm going to talk about unity. Everybody say unity. 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 Uh, Unity in your church, unity in your family, unity in your covenant community. So today what we're going to do is turn in our Bibles to Psalm chapter 133, all right? Psalm 133, Um, you are going to read an entire chapter of the Bible today. Oh yeah, it's only three verses. It's only three verses. Psalm 133. I know we're getting our workout in, but we love to stand for the reading of God's word. So when you find Psalm 133, please stand to your feet. We're going to read this out loud all together as a family in unity. All right. Psalm 133 says this, behold how and it is when brothers dwell in. It's like the precious On the head, running down on the beard, on the beard of Aaron, running down on the collar of his robes. It's, you see how it, see what David is saying? It's like, right? He's giving us an illustration of what unity is like. He says in verse three, it is like the, anybody ever read that? Like, what is that? I mean, listen, in my prayer closet, I just pray whatever's here. Right, so when I read Dew of Herman, I'm like, yes, Lord, give me the Dew of Herman, Lord. I don't really know what I'm praying, but it's here, so I'm like, it's good. Put the Dew on my life. You know, I'm, I'm like quoting like Mountain Dew commercials. Do the Dew, Lord. You know, it's like, yeah. We're going we're gonna to explain what that is. It's like the of Herman, which on the mountains of Zion, for Read that again for one more time for the Lord has the life. Let's read that last line one more time just for fun for there. The Lord has the life in Jesus name. You've read an entire chapter of the Bible. The title of the message today is where God commands a blessing where God commands a blessing. So we're going to talk about unity today. Father, we thank you for your everlasting word. You said that the heavens and the earth will fade away, but your word will last forever. So we are aware that we come before an eternal word from you. It never returns to you void. It always accomplishes its intent when you speak it. So today, God, we receive your word. We receive the motivations of your heart. We receive the seed of God. We receive the new form that you're calling us into, and we receive a grace for transformation that we might leave this sanctuary differently than we walked in. In Jesus' name we pray. And the church said, amen and amen. You can be seated. Just just give somebody a high five. Say, unity. There you go. Unity. Well, um, I know like there's always this thing with conference where conference is like 
put you on this like high, right? Like you're, you're so stoked. Everybody's pouring their heart and soul out uh, for conference. And then like the following week, people like usually kind of tired. And uh, my wife surprised me uh, right before the conference. She said, hey, I found this little spot we could book for cheap and go down to the beach during fall break. And so today I got back and walked into the green room and we were doing team prayer. And Pastor Brian said, hey, I know you guys are tired. And I was like, not me. I've been sun-kissed. So I don't, know, I don't know if you are as excited as I am. I got a little vitamin D this week, you know, got, 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 in, the, got in the sea, you know, this week. I'm excited to be here. So if, I, if I'm on a different level, just, just get on my level with me, okay? You okay with it? You gonna roll with me? Are we in unity? In Pimba, we used to say, estamos juntos, which is, are we together? We together. Let's do it. So I wanna make a statement here about Psalm 133 that I believe to be true I I think it's the life. I think it's the message. I think it's part of what God wants to say to us today through Psalm 133. And that, that phrase is this, our spiritual depth is recognized in our unity with the community of believers. Our spiritual depth is recognized in our unity with the community of believers. How many of you guys wanna be spiritually deep? Come on, Christians, we wanna be spiritually deep disciples, amen? I wanna have spiritual depth about me. How about you? Well, one of the ways in which we witness your spiritual depth is how you steward your unity within the community that God has planted you in. I'm gonna talk about this a couple of times, so if you didn't get it yet, don't worry, don't worry, we're gonna get there, all right? Your spiritual depth is recognized in your unity with the community of believers. Remember, Jesus said, how are they going to know we're your disciples? Uh, they're going to know because of how you love each other, right? So our spiritual depth is recognized in our unity. A spiritually deep church is a unified church. A spiritually deep church is a unified church. Not simply a church of individuals that show up on a Sunday expecting a spiritually deep experience for themselves exclusively. Let me say it again. A spiritually deep church is a unified church, not simply a church of individuals that show up on Sunday expecting a spiritually deep experience for themselves alone. A spiritually deep church is a unified church. I remember one time my pastor was telling me, hey, I follow you guys on YouTube and Instagram and you need to have more fun. I said, what? More fun? We're spiritually deep over here, Dr. Frank, all right? We're not doing fun stuff. We're praying and fasting. (laughs) Which, I mean, prayer is fun, you know, but you know what I'm saying? It's like, man, we're we're, we're, we're praying, we're fasting, fasting, we're hustling in the Holy Ghost. Over here, we're serious people. (laughs) He said, hey, um, you having fun does not make your church spiritually shallow. Food, fun, fellowship is part of your unity as a spiritual family, and it's actually an example of your spiritual depth. What makes your church spiritually shallow is unchecked sin. If you don't rebuke people, (laughs) we're disciples, right? We believe in discipline, right? We believe in holding our brothers and our sisters accountable to righteousness, right? 
So this is how we develop a spiritually deep environment. We have a value for unity and we say, look, it's not enough for me, me to get a taste of the glory. I want you to get a taste of God's presence as well. It's not enough for me to get the blessing all by myself. I need you to get blessed as well. It's not enough for me to get a prophetic word and a prophetic dream and have a purpose over my life. I need to bring you into the sanctuary with me because I want you to have it as well. We want to be a unified body. A spiritually deep church is a unified church. One of the reasons that I think that we might struggle to see this in our culture is because we tend to see church as an event for self-development. Well, here's why I go to church. I go to church so that I can grow, so that I can develop, so that I can become all that God has called me to be. And that's great, but a local church and a personal growth conference are two different types of events. A local church and a personal growth conference are two different things. Your church is certainly developmental, but before that, it is covenantal. You're going to grow here, absolutely. But church is not just about your growth. This is why Jesus taught us to pray our father, not just my father. Because it's not enough for us to be selfish when it comes to our development. We have to have a value for the growth of our brothers and sisters as well. That is something that makes us deep, not not as individuals, uh, you know, clipped off from the community, growing in God all by ourselves. That's not what the church is. It's developmental, but before that, it's covenantal. And I love development and transformation. Please don't hear that I'm like down on development. I'm a lifelong Learner, I have a high value for transformation. You can ask my wife anytime I get passionate about a topic, she knows it because Amazon packages show up at our house for a week. Because if I get stoked on a topic, you better believe I'm going to Amazon. I just look at the ratings of the top 10 books on one particular topic and I Amazon one click all of them. (laughs) And this is how my wife knows oh, he's in his like intake phase, he's learning about a new topic. And then I just feast on those things because I love growth. I love learning. I love development. I love it. But I've decided in this season, church, that I no longer want to be the primary developer or the primary director of my own development. I've decided that. I don't want to be the one that is in charge of my development. And I know that's popular in our culture to say, I mean, go to Barnes and Noble. I mean, I think like a lot of physical bookstores don't exist anymore. But if you go to Barnes and Noble, they're, like the biggest section is personal development. Have you guys noticed that? Everybody's obsessed with personal development, but I've decided in this season to detach from the concept of self-directed development or what people are calling Project Me. You know, I just, it's Project Me. I'm growing and I'm developing and 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 I'm not telling you, you shouldn't grow. You shouldn't develop. I want to grow as a disciple, as a pastor, as a leader, as a father. I want to grow in every element of my life. I want you to grow. I want you to work hard to grow. I want you to develop. But my question to you this morning, church, is this. Who is in charge of your growth and your development? Who's in charge of it? Is it you? Because here's what I've determined. I've said to myself, you know what? I don't want to be in charge of my development. I'm happy to work hard at it, but I want Jesus to be in charge of my development. Jesus is the primary director of our development, not me, myself, and I. Jesus is more than your life coach. 
He's not in your world to simply enhance your life and make it a bit better and give you some success principles extracted from the Bible so that you can be slightly happier as you traverse to, through life. Jesus is more than that. He's not your life coach. I mean, certainly he can give you some good life principles, but he is your God. He is the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. He is in charge of our lives. God is not a part of your life. You are a part of his. You don't slice off a chunk of the pie of your life and say, okay, God, this one is reserved for you. It'll be on Sundays. It'll be a percentage of my money. Uh, it'll be like when I volunteer my, no, 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 no. That's not the way it is living your life in God. God is not a part of your life. You are a part of his life. When you come into his life, you come under his lordship. And so you give up your rights as the primary director of your life's development. Jesus is not a consultant that provides recommendations for a better life experience. Jesus is Lord and he gives us commandments. I think it's really important that we discern the difference between invitations and commandments. Come on right now, like we receive commandments like invitations, like we receive commandments from scripture like they are RSVPs to a wedding. <laughs> nope, I don't think I'm going to do that. Don't feel like it. Hold on, wait. It's not an RSVP situation. This is a commandment from Jesus. Reminder, Jesus is God. By ignoring Jesus, we're ignoring God. It's not a polite suggestion. It's a commandment. You with me? I know it's a week after conference. It's quiet in here and I'm going too hard, aren't I? You me calm down? Cam, we good? All right. Our culture has an obsession with self-development, but I believe that it might be more of an obsession with self-leadership. No, I'm in charge of me. I'm doing what I want to do. And as Christians, we're not our own leaders. We're not our own primary developers. These roles belong to Jesus and Jesus alone because scripture says he is the head of the church. <laughs> As Christians, we're not our own leaders. One of the ways that Jesus chooses to lead us, to guide us, to grow us, and to develop us is to plant us in a spiritual covenantal community called the local church and give you a family. Have you ever noticed how much easier it is to be spiritually deep all by yourself? I was so spiritually deep before I got married. I mean, I was just praying and fasting and I was hearing God and having prophetic dreams and it was not a problem. And then God gave me a wife and I'm like, hold on, where's my time to pray? I mean, I was even pretty spiritually deep as a husband, but then I became a dad. <laughs> Isn't it easier to be spiritually deep in isolation? Because there's nobody there to push your buttons. There's nobody there to bother you. There's nobody there to agitate you. There's nobody there that you need to forgive. And that's one of the reasons why God uses the church as a developer in our life, because he loves, Psalm 69 and 9, I think it is, uh, that he loves to set the lonely in families. He sets the lonely in families. You know, that word, he sets, he, he sets the lonely. In, in the Hebrew, it's the word, uh, he sets the solitary, which is where we get our word for a solitaire. And when you think about jewelry making, what does a jeweler do? He sets a solitaire diamond in a setting in the same way that God will make us born again and set us in a family. He sets the lonely in families. 
Now, I interviewed a a jeweler a couple of years ago and I asked him like, okay, when you're making jewelry, how do you get the diamond to look the way that you want it to look? He said, oh, it's very interesting that you would ask that because in order to shape a diamond, you can only do that with another diamond. There's no material that you can shape a diamond unless you have a diamond, a a material made out of diamond. And I'm like, that is just like church. We're, We're these solitaire jewels that Jesus finds, gives us new birth, sets us in a setting called the local church. And then he uses other diamonds to grade on us until we become a finished product. I know some people are like, I ain't going to church. It's too bothersome. It's too agitating. People get on my nerves there. That's how you learn to be a forgiver. (laughs) You got to get offended enough times to learn how to forgive people. You got to be agitated uh, by enough people to learn how to prefer people and, you know, step over the inconvenience of loving somebody else who's different than you. You know, there's nobody can crucify themselves. It's absolutely impossible. Like I could try, like I could drive a nail through my own feet. That would be possible. I could even put another nail in one of my hands. But at some point I would have to hand you the hammer so that you could finish the job and keep me on the cross. And I just don't think it's possible to stay crucified to yourself all by yourself. You need other people to teach you how to forgive. Are you with me this morning? So I've noticed that, and this is one of the things that the church is good for. Uh, One of the things that the church is good for is that discipleship through fellowship is one of the most important ways that God grows us. Think about Proverbs 27, 17. Iron sharpens iron, and one man sharpens another. Y'all remember that, right? So I'm gonna say it again. Our spiritual depth is recognized in our unity with the community of believers. Now, I know this. Some of you guys in here, you grew up in church. Like you, my wife is one of these people. She's a sign, a wonder, she's a unicorn. She's a Nashvillian, she grew up in church, she never left church, she has the real testimony. Me, on the other hand, completely different. Like there are some of you in here, it's like you grew up in church, you loved church. Like you had an amazing experience in church. You grew spiritually, you built strong and healthy relationships. And as a result for you, belonging to a local church is actually quite natural and completely easy. I won't ask for a show of hands because I would, I would venture to believe that's very few of you guys. But for a lot of people, that is their story. And nowadays, those people are the exception. Grew up in church, never had a problem in church. Everything was great. It's all good. You know, for many of you, though, belonging to a local church is actually quite challenging. And once again, you don't have to raise your hand like, yep, that's me. Because for some of you guys, it takes a real courage to be a part of a local church because of how much hurt you've experienced at a local church in the past. And I, and I know that, and I get that. I've heard some of your stories. For some, it takes sacrifice because it's extremely inconvenient for you to come to church here. Hello, everybody who lives in Spring Hill, Gallatin, Hendersonville, and wherever else you live. Franklin, for some of you guys, all right? Oh yeah, I know. People are like, man, I drove an hour both ways to come to church. You know what I say? A church alive is worth the drive. That's what I say. Yeah, I got to have some preacher slogans, you know, to. But I know for some of you guys, it's a sacrifice. And I've talked to some of you. You know, the easy thing would be is for you to just go somewhere more comfortable. But if God has called you here, you've got to go to the church that you feel called to, not just the church you feel comfortable in. Right, Be planted in the community where God has you. For some of you guys, uh, it takes trust to be here. Uh, and it's trust that you don't even know if you have anymore. 
Perhaps you've been wounded by a pastor before. You've been wounded by a leader before, a spiritual parent in your past. And for a number of you, it takes humility to be here. For one, because you have a pastor that's yet to turn 40 yet. And I get it. You're older, you're wiser, you're more experienced than me. Yet you allow me and Allison the privilege of serving you as lead pastors. And for that, I am incredibly grateful. And I just want to let you know, if you're one of those people, I am aware of the humility that's required in order for you to be a part of this family. I used to apologize all the time for being like a young pastor. You know, it's like, I'm so sorry. I'm 28 and I'm your pastor. (laughs) I remember one time the Lord was like, hey, stop apologizing for your youth. Like I told Jeremiah the same thing. Stop apologizing for your youth. You don't have to be qualified to lead. You have to be anointed for it. So just recognize you're not qualified, but Jesus is, and he's anointed us. He's given us that oil, right? And so I think all of these factors, they speak to who you are as our church. We love you guys. We're blown away by you guys. You know, Alice and I had the opportunity to drive in the minivan with the kids. And when they weren't screaming, uh, we talk about you about how much we love you and how much we love what God's allowed us to do and how much we love your kids. If you couldn't tell, I love dedicating babies. I love your kids. I love baptizing believers. I love the process of being a part of a covenantal community. There are plenty of excuses for all of us not to be here, but praise God, by God's design as believers, we are a part of a covenantal community. I don't think all believers are called by God to plant churches, but I do believe that all believers are called by God to help build the church, capital C, because that's what Jesus said he is building in Matthew chapter 16. So let me give you some context for this scripture. Can we dive into um, Psalm 133? You guys doing okay? You guys secretly interceding for the Titans right now? You're in the throes of intercession internally? You better travail. Because Tannehill's hurt, so it's not looking good. If you look at the backdrop of Psalm 133, uh, you could imagine that David has actually experienced a whole lot of um, division David's experienced a whole lot of disloyalty. Uh, David has experienced a whole lot of destruction in his life all around him. He knew the pain of division, but he also knew the joy of brothers bonded together in covenant, pursuing a great call and assignment from God upon their life. And I believe that this Psalm can speak to us about our church and about community life. One, uh, actually, David says three things about unity in Psalm 133, three things. I'm gonna give you these things. Number one is this. Good. Everybody say good. good. David says that unity is, he says it's good. In the Hebrew, that means valuable, a feeling of enjoyment, delightful, precious, beneficial, to be desired, and advantageous. He says that unity is, what else does he say? Unity is pleasant. Not only is unity good, unity is also pleasant. If you look at that in the Hebrew, it says something acceptable, favorable, lovely, attractive, beautiful, blessed, delightful, enlivening, delicious to the taste. That's pretty cool. Sweet. This is pretty awesome. This is what David says that unity is. It is good and it is pleasant. How many of you guys are reading this? You're like, I want to be in unity. Come on. I want to be in unity with my covenant family. And then lastly, he says, unity is brothers or siblings. It it can include sisters today. Brothers or siblings together, which in the Hebrew means bonding, relating, and joined to. So when I read this, as David says, this is what unity is like, then I am inspired to pursue unity because I wanna belong to a church that is good, that is pleasant, that is bonded together, that is sweet, 
that is enjoyable. Anybody else? I want to be a part of that. That sounds awesome. We all know what it's like. I mean, a number of us, you know, we've come up in broken homes. We know what division feels like. We know what disloyalty feels like. We know what it feels like to be betrayed. Wouldn't it be awesome if the church could be a shining picture to the world of what unity looks like? Where we don't bash one another when somebody falls, but we help them up. Where we don't cancel people because they sin, but we walk them through a process of healing to help them, to encourage them. Where we're not shooting our wounded. That's what I believe the church of the future is. And I'm so sad to see that the church of the present, so oftentimes we just, we just kick people out. Oh, they've done something we don't like. They're out. They're done. I, I believe that a spiritually deep church is a unified church. If you look at the Hebrew word unity, it means this, oneness, undivided, agreement, and an absence of division. So if we are gonna pursue unity, we are gonna pursue a spirit of oneness, uh, of being undivided, a spirit of agreement, a spirit of absence of division. Now, I know when we say agreement, it's like, what do you mean we have to agree on everything? We don't have to agree on everything, but it is important that we attempt to align on things. You know, I was telling the first service today, there are some things that are close-handed when it comes to church, and there are some things that are open-handed to the church. The things that are close-handed, we're not really gonna debate on, like this, Jesus is God, right? Like the Apostles' Creed. We're not gonna debate on those things. We're gonna stay strong on those things. Those are pillars. But methodology, open-handed. Style, open-handed. One of the things that, I, that I, I watch the church in America debate and fight and fuss and divide over, which I think is so ridiculous, is church style. Well, we're the ones doing it right. We're the ones that are giving God a pure sacrifice. But not those guys over there, not that denomination or not that style of church. And if you don't do worship for 90 minutes, not doing it right. And this person over here is like, if you don't preach for 90 minutes, you're not doing it right. You know, the more I pray about this, the more I realize I don't actually think that God cares about style as much as we do. We fuss and fight over style and claim that the way that we do it is right. Does that way work for the underground church in China? Does that, way, does that way work for the persecuted church in North Korea? Why are we fussing and fighting and dividing over style? We're the ones doing it right. You guys are doing it wrong. I don't think God cares as much about style as he does fruit. <laughs> uh, are you worshiping the Lord from a pure heart with clean hands and a pure heart? Are you, are you giving God praise? Are you opening the scripture? Are you proclaiming the word of God? Are you discipling people? Are you winning souls? Are you going after the lost? Do you care about the poor? Are you with me? I feel like it's very similar to what Dr. Frank said to me. It's like, having fun is not what makes your church shallow. It's not doing the scripture. And these are the things that I see us dividing on. I think we just gotta stop. So biblical unity throughout different points in scripture looks like this. It looks like one heart. It looks like one mind. It looks like one judgment. And it looks like one accord. And I've got some scriptures there. I'm not gonna get into them because I don't have time. Because I want to give you guys, just from Psalm 133, the five dynamic results of unity. So I know that might sound a little kitschy, but um, I've pulled five points from Psalm 133, and I want us to pray into them as a church. You with me? Psalm 133. Uh, number one, five dynamic results of unity. Number one, a continual, fresh, powerful supply of the anointing. A continual, fresh 
powerful supply of the anointing. This is one of the dynamic results of unity. And that's in verse two. Psalm 133 verse two says this. It is like the precious oil. Everybody say anointing. On the head, running down on the beard, on the beard of Aaron, running down on the collar of his robes. Anointing in scripture is another word for power. Power. This is a dynamic result of unity, is a continual, fresh, powerful supply of power, of anointing. Anointing oil, if you look at it from an Old Testament perspective, was used to anoint prophets. It was used to anoint priests, kings, as well as furniture in the temple, the tabernacle, in order to regard it as holy or being set apart for the Lord. In the New Testament, you'll see anointing oil is used to anoint the sick so that they would be healed as we pray for them. Oil, power, anointing. So what unity releases is the power of the oil. The supernatural power of God, the working of the Holy Spirit to do supernatural things, the anointing of the Holy Spirit, it flows freely in an atmosphere of unity. It flows freely in an atmosphere of unity for miracles, grace, freedom to the captives, and the supernatural presence of God upon us all. That's number one. Number two is this, an atmosphere of abundance and fruitfulness. Five dynamic results of unity, an atmosphere of abundance and fruitfulness. That's number two. If you look at verse three, I, I, I talked about this earlier. It's like the dew of Hermon. You remember I said, I don't even know what that means. Anybody else know what that means? I know what it means now, but when I was reading, I'm like, what is the dew of Hermon, which falls on the mountains of Zion? And why is David writing a song of worship for God rejoicing over dew that comes off a mountain? Must have been great. Well, here's what I learned. The dew of Hermon was the continual supply of moisture that fertilized the land that made it a fertile land. So what it is, it supplied moisture for the fruitfulness, for the abundance of crops in Israel. And that's why David was giving God praise for it. He said, this is what unity is like. Unity is like the dew of Hermon. He was using the dew of Hermon as an illustration. He said, whenever we're in, a, we're in an atmosphere of unity, it's like that dew coming off the mountain that fertilizes our farmland and brings about an abundance of crops. A place of unity is an atmosphere of abundance and fruitfulness. The dew of Hermon was called, um, I, I learned this this week as well, it was called the choice dew. Some of you guys, that is what you refer to Mountain Dew as. It's the choice dew. Listen, I grew up in Kentucky where people didn't drink water, they just drank Mountain Dew. I know that seems crazy, but my dad used to have a personal assistant when I was a kid, and one time I asked her if she wanted a bottle of water, Colton, you're gonna love this, she's like, no, I just drink Diet Mountain Dew. And I said, hold on, what do you mean you just drink Diet Mountain Dew? It was the choice dew, you know what I'm saying? And uh, she was like, I haven't drank water for years. <laughs> so I don't know if you guys know this, but there are people groups. <laughs> and they need missionaries. <laughs> they haven't drank water for years. And it's not because it's available. It's not because it's not available. They just drink Diet Mountain Dew. The choice dew. That's not, that's not what Mountain Dew is. I can tell you that because the dew of Hermon was called the choice dew because of its freshness, 
because of its abundance and because of its connection with life and growth. And it was used in the Old Testament as a symbol of covenantal blessings. And that's what David is saying that unity is like. So the dew of Hermon represents refreshing, fruitfulness, profitableness. That's a good one. The descending, all-covering blessings of God. That is the dew of Hermon. So that's one of the dynamic results of unity is an atmosphere of abundance and fruitfulness. All right, number three, and this one's so good. It's where the Lord commands a blessing. And if you need to in here, I want you to take this and just apply it to your marriage. Kind of random, I know, but I just felt it in my spirit. Like, it's an atmosphere where God commands a blessing to be unified, to be, con- to be together. Verse three, for there the Lord has commanded the blessing. Now, I'm fascinated by different words. That's why I do a lot of word study. And I was looking at that word commanded uh, this week. And that word commanded is to give orders as a general gives an order to his troops. It's an authoritative charge. It's a word of action from God whose word cannot be stopped. It cannot be hindered. It cannot be delayed. It is the word of his will. So whenever God says right there where there is unity, that's where I'm gonna command. It's not an invitation. It's not an RSVP. It's not a polite suggestion. It is a commandment from a general. And we know Hebrews chapter 11, verse three, it says, by faith, we understand that the universe was formed at God's command, right? It accomplishes everything he desires for it to accomplish so that what is seen is, uh, was not made out of what was visible. Isaiah 55 verse one, so shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth. It shall not return to me void. It'll accomplish what I please. It shall prosper in the thing for which I sent it. Deuteronomy 28, eight, for the Lord will command the blessing on you in your barns and that all that you undertake, I'm going to take that Lord. How about you? And he will bless you in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. I like whenever God speaks and starts commanding things because he puts planets into motion. He fills the seas with water. He lifts up the mountains, lowers the valleys. He, whenever God commands something, you can take it to the bank. You can write it down. It is happening. And God said, wherever I see unity, I will release a word. It will be a command of blessing. You will have fruitfulness. You will have abundance. You will have power. You will have the supernatural. You will have miracles. You will have plenty of oil. I don't know about you. I want that. God says that's what he'll speak over an atmosphere of unity. Where there's unity, God commands blessing, favor, prosperity, and gifts. And uh, I had to look up the word blessing just for fun. You know, Proverbs chapter 10, 22, it says it another way. The blessing... Same word, of the Lord brings, man, you gotta get excited about that. The ble- so whenever God says, when I see an atmosphere of unity, I'm gonna command a blessing. It's the same word right here. The blessing of the Lord brings, come on, without painful toil for it. I'm like, yes, Lord, I received the dew of Mount Hermon. I would like wealth without the painful toil for it. Amen. See, you just got to exercise your faith, man. When you're, when you're reading the Bible, you just, you just stop. You're like, you know what? Studying's done. We're going to ask for that right now. <laughs> Same word, Malachi 3 and 10. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much, eh? That there will not be room enough to store it. 
I receive it. Ephesians 1 and 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who is in Christ with every spiritual Come on. I don't know about you, but I want those blessings. Uh, well, God says an atmosphere of unity is where he pours out those blessings. All right, point four, almost done. Point four, it's where the supernatural life of God is at work. It's where the supernatural life of God is at work. That's verse three. For, the, for there, the Lord has commanded the blessing. And what is the last two words? Life forevermore. Where there is unity, church, there is the breath of God breathing life into the church. Every aspect of the church is living, thriving, full of vitality and the life of God. It's like Job in Job 33 verse four. He said, the spirit of God has made me and the breath of the almighty gives me what? Life. Psalm 16 and 11, you make known to me the path of yeah, in your presence there is fullness of joy and at your right hand there are pleasures forevermore. It's unity is where the supernatural life of God is at work. Where there is life in a unified church, people are gonna be saved, prodigals are gonna come home, our prayers will be spirit-empowered, our worship will be alive, full of the presence of God. There'll be a compelling faith in the room, there'll be compassionate life in the room, confident hope, there'll be changed lives, committed people, healings, miracles, signs, wonders, and a passion and a zeal for the Lord. I want all of that, how about you? All right, last one, number five. Unity empowers the church to win spiritual battles. Unity empowers the church to win spiritual battles. There's something very powerful about unity. Jesus talked about it in Matthew chapter 18. He said, again, I say to you, if two of you agree, somebody say unity, on earth about anything they ask, it's gonna be done for them by my Father who is in heaven. I love the way the message translation puts that. He says, take this most seriously. A yes on earth is a yes in heaven. A no on earth is a no in heaven. What you say to one another is eternal then. I mean this. When two of you get together on anything at all on the earth and make a prayer of it, my Father in heaven goes into action. Somebody say unity. And when two or three of you are together because of me, you can be sure that I will be there. Matthew 16, verse 18 and 19. Remember the point being, unity empowers the church to win spiritual battles. Think about this. Jesus is speaking to Peter. He says, on this rock, I'm gonna build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. The gates of hell shall not withstand the unified church moving in a spirit of agreement. It's interesting because gates, gates represent the power of hell that binds people's souls spiritual strongholds that must be broken, the spirits of infirmity, sickness, disease, everything that hell wants to throw at us, all of it will be broken. All of it will be destroyed. We know this. The enemy wants to destroy people's lives, but a church walking in unity agrees to work together to fight the words of the devil, contend for the faith, and aggressively attack the gates of hell through prayer, intercession, and deliverance. That's what a unified church does. Let's stand together. We're going to pray. If you don't mind, just put a hand on your heart and just pray with me now. Say, in Jesus' name, I receive a spirit of unity, of unity, of unity, 
I reject division and I receive unity. In Jesus' name, amen. In a moment, we're going to have our altars open. If anybody at all needs prayer, you need somebody to connect with you today in unity, pray for you, intercede, walk with you through something, I want you to come up. You're most welcome. I bless you in the name of the Lord. And I thank you, Father, for all of the amazing things that you've done today at Legacy. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said? Amen. Amen. Find a few people around you. Give them a hug. Give them a high five. Some knuckles, something, handshake. Meet them if you haven't yet. We love you so much. And we bless you in Jesus' name. This is the Legacy Nashville podcast. If you'd like to support the ministry, you can do so at LegacyNashville.org forward slash give. If you're listening on iTunes, log into the store and give us a good rating and review. This helps our podcast reach new people with the good news of Jesus Christ. Until next week, love God, love people, and go change the world.